It is my privilege to uh, introduce to you this morning Rocky Wyatt. Uh, he has been with us all this weekend, ministering to the men. Uh, we're trying to use him up as much as possible. Two sessions Friday night, two sessions Saturday, and three times this morning. All I get to kind of kick back and watch it happen, which is wonderful. It's a joy to hear the truth of the Word of God, to be strengthened and encouraged. It's always good to have someone come in who will say the same things that the pastors here say. Uh, and yet, someone told me Saturday morning, he goes, yeah, I mean, Rocky says pretty much what you say, but I can remember it when he says it. I, I think that's a compliment. It was pretty much. So, he could, so uh, believe me, you'll, you'll know what they mean if you haven't, weren't here this weekend. You'll know what they mean, but you'll remember it when he says it. Uh, and that is delight. Uh, Rocky is the executive director of XL Ministries, a training organization. We train men in the local church. I've had a privilege of being a uh, partner with him in that for many years. And you know many of the men who we are currently training. We have Joel uh, Ross Richmond, who's being trained. We have uh, Jeremy Hammer uh, and Tony Russell currently in training. We have had the privilege of, of training men for the, the pastorate of this church. So Ron O'Dell was trained through XL Ministries. Rob Rathman was trained. So now Greg Burnett, who was just here this last weekend or two weekends ago, uh, he, he came up through that training program and uh, others that, that you know. And, and yet I want to remind you that uh, when we train, as we train through the local church, that it is a local church work. That's what XL Ministries is all about. Right? Rocky will talk about the work of the church. Yes, there's individual work, but if we're going to train men, it takes all of you. This is a full church work, and so it's a delight to have been part of that with Rocky for many years. Now, also, even before, way before Exile Ministries, Rocky was my youth pastor when I was 14 years old. Uh, and so he was I, was, I was a believer at the time, but he really has challenged me then and all along the way that if, if I'm going to truly love Christ, that's going to need to be expressed in everything that I am. And it's been a privilege to just walk kind of behind him as he's moved his way forward. Uh, he's exactly 10 years older, the key word is older than I am, uh, to the very day. But the blessing of that is that I've had the opportunity to watch as, as he's moved through areas of life that I will have to move through most likely and, and to watch him walk with God during those times. And so it's been a blessing to have someone who, who, you know, Paul said, look, follow me as I follow Christ. Rocky would tell you that. Certainly it's not him, but that, that I would want to follow him and be able to follow him as he follows Christ. And it has been a blessing to, to watch him. And so I commend him to you. A man who's been in ministry nearly 50 years that you would, would delight to hear what he has to say because this has been forged in the fires of ministry, in the church, through the church, for the church. And so when he speaks to you about what the church ought to be, he has sought to do that. He has lived that out. So he's not just telling you what to do. He's already done that or is, is continuing to do that. So I commend him in that way. A man who loves the church, he loves the Lord Jesus Christ, and he loves the word of God. So please welcome him as he comes. Good morning. It's sure great to be here. Thanks, Chris. Chris and I, obviously, we go back a long ways. I was just very young when I started, so he's a dear friend. It's been a privilege to watch what God has done in his life over the years, and you obviously have benefited immensely from that, for which I am grateful. It is a great privilege for me to be here with you. You know, the last song that we sang about the church you know, as a church, we're, we're ready for the Lord, Lord Jesus to come. I think a lot of people want Jesus to come because they want out of here. They're just tired of it. They're afraid of the future. And, and it's, it's not Lord Jesus come because this is your time. It's Lord Jesus come because I want out. But for those who really know Christ, we would say with the Apostle Paul that it's far better to depart and be with Christ. But he said, but to, but, 
but to remain on now in the flesh is more important for your sakes. And so today I'm going to be talking about the Great Commission, which is always dangerous because it's such a familiar passage. But I want to talk about the Great Commission, what it looks like in individual Christians' lives. And then I would like to talk about what the Great Commission looks like when it's actually fulfilled in the church. Because I think it's often misrepresented. And the truth is, the church is ready for Jesus to come when the church is doing the work that Jesus is a sinner here to do. Right? It's, it's about accomplishing what he wants in anticipation of his coming. Not just get me out of here. Okay, and so that's what we'll talk about this morning. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time. Thank you for these people who are here today. Thank you for the work you've already done in their lives. Thank you for their love for you. Thank you for the privilege you give us to meet together. I just pray by your grace that you would use this time to accomplish your purposes for your glory. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. So the last couple of days I've been speaking on the church, and if I was to summarize uh, our, our lessons that we had, I, I would simply say this, if you love God, you love the church. If you love God, you love the church. It, it's not secondary, it's not a convenience, it's not an obligation. If you love God, you love the church. If you don't love the church, you don't love God. So we're going to start with, <laughs> it's like, gee, where's he going? Yeah. Matthew 28, a familiar passage. If you want to turn there, verses 18, 20. Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And, and Lord, I'm with you. Oh, and then he says, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So what does it look like if we actually obey this? It begins with the phrase, all authority has been given to Jesus in heaven and on earth. And if I could just remind you, for those of you who have truly come to know Christ, okay, that you've repented of your sin, you believe in Christ, you're, you're his children, that... That when you became a child of God, you gave up ownership of your own life. You are no longer your own. Your decisions are no longer your decisions to make. It's, it's repeated for us several times in Scripture in Acts 20:28, 20, when Paul is speaking to the Ephesian elders. He says, be on your guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, it says, which he purchased with his own blood. So when he redeemed you, he purchased you. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, it says it this way, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have from God, that you're not your own. You are not your own. For you have been bought with the price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. See, Christianity is not an addendum to our life. It's not just to cover our bases. Christianity absolutely changes our lives. In Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, it says, In him, in Christ, you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation... Having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession. 
What for? To the praise of his glory. So he redeemed you so that as you obey him, you actually exalt him in your life. You praise him. In Titus 2, 13 and 14, it says, looking for the blessed hope. That's what we're singing about, right? <laughs> Come Lord Jesus. Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us. Why? To redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself, what? A people for his own possession. Zealous for good deeds. In other words, God's ownership translates into reconciled people, redeemed people who are zealous to accomplish the work of God. In 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Why? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of the one who called you out of darkness into light. Right? That's what God has done for you. And so it's important to understand a couple of things as we begin this lesson. First of all, who is Jesus giving this commission to? Well, he's given it to his disciples. He's given it to his disciples. And so it's important to understand that just because a person is in the church doesn't make them a Christian. Frankly, just because a person calls himself a Christian doesn't make him a Christian. A, a Christian is identifiable because of their relationship with Christ, their understanding of sin and redemption, their, their faith in Christ, their repentance from sin. And so he's, he's speaking to his disciples, and the disciples are those who understand they've been bought with the price. So now their life on this earth has one primary purpose, and everything else serves that one purpose. And that's as a, as a disciple of Christ... I am to fulfill all that God has me here for. You know, you know Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you've been saved. Verse 10 says, we are his workmanship in Christ Jesus, created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. That God ordained beforehand that you should walk in them. So do you understand that if you're saved here, if you're a Christian, in eternity past, not only did God determine your salvation, but he determined the works that you would do once you were saved on this earth. Sometimes we think salvation is the end in itself. It's only the beginning. It's only the beginning. So the question is, what does it mean for a person to be a disciple? Keep in mind, when I say a disciple, I'm, uh, being a Christian and being a disciple, those are the same thing. Okay? A lot of people have tried to say you can be a Christian but not necessarily a disciple. No. To be a Christian is to, to be a disciple. To be a disciple is to be a Christian. They're one and the same. And... For those who have short attention spans, two words today, okay? If you forget everything else I say, two words, okay? You ready? Jesus said, follow me. He said, follow me. And he said it a lot. In Matthew 4, 18 to 20, Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew's brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. 
In Mark chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, he went out again by the seashore, and all the people were coming to him, and he was teaching them. And he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax book, and he said to him, Booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he got up and he followed him. John 1, the next day he purposed to go into Galilee, found Philip. Jesus said to him, follow me. In Luke 9, 23, he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross. Are we, come on, we're there. <laughs> Isn't it great? You're going to walk out of here saying, I remember the sermon, you know? Chris said, yeah, people remember. It's like, yeah, he does it in two words. You guys, when, when the disciples heard those words, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, uh, you know, like take up the cross. I, I, I imagine that that didn't have a great impact until a short time later when they saw the Lord Jesus Christ on a cross. I bet you when they saw that, that was life transforming. Deny yourself. And I don't think he's saying deny yourself the sinful pleasures of life. I mean, that's a given. I think he's saying you need to be willing to let anything go out of your life that is absorbing time that's taking you away from the best things that God would have you do in life. That means you let go of things you enjoy for the sake of doing things that you know would most honor God. It's important to understand that. In Matthew 8, 18 to 22, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to depart to the other side of the sea. Then a scribe came and said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, he's, he's letting you know, you guys understand. When you follow Christ, he's not trying to put you on a, a path that's going to give you the most enjoyable, most fun, most exciting, most provided life. He's going to put you on a path that's going to accomplish his purposes. It's not going to be about your convenience in this life. It's not about you getting everything that you would like to get in this life. It's about accomplishing the will of God in this life. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. I mean, in essence, he's saying, I got to wait till my father dies, take care of the inheritance and all that stuff. I mean, Jesus is saying, stop making excuses. It's two words. Follow me. In Matthew 19, 16 to 21, someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There's only one who is good, but if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. So he said to him, Which ones? Jesus said, You shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said, I've done all of these. What am I still lacking? Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions, give them to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. That guy was done. Now, why does he say that to the man? 
Do we all have to give up everything in order to follow Jesus? You guys, the point that he's making is if there is anything that you love more than Jesus, you got to deal with it. This man, his resources, his security was more important than following Jesus. So he, he and of course, he, he's really not even an honest man. You know, yeah, I've done this, I've done He's like, yeah, you have no idea, you know. But at the end of the day, when it comes to giving up his treasures, you guys, the greatest commandment is what? Love. I think so. <laughs> Love the Lord your God. All your heart, all your mind, all your strength. It's, it's an all-consuming, supreme love for God. If, if you're in Christ, you guys, the greatest commandment, which I think very few people have ever meditated on, is to love God supremely. It's to love God more than your spouse. It's to love God more than your children. It's to love God more than your own life. That's Christianity. You're trying, you're striving Frankly, not ever hitting it perfectly. You're striving to love God supremely. And you guys, when you love God supremely, you get rid of the competing loves in your life. And here's the deal. To truly, if you're truly going to love other people right, the only way to do that is to love God supremely. You love him first and foremost. Then you can love other people right. Because if you love other people on an equal basis with God, or even more than God, that's idolatry. When you love God supremely, you trust him with your other loves. If you don't love God supremely, and God allows something hard to happen to your child or to your spouse, you get angry at God. When you love God supremely, and God does whatever work he wants to do in the lives of those you love, you trust him. So when he's talking to this man about money, he's talking about competing loves. And Christians, God is clear. It is the greatest of all commandments that we love God supremely. Well, you remember Peter through the resurrection? It was a rough time. I don't think any of us would have done any better. But after the resurrection, Jesus came to him, was gracious, and talked to him about service, right? Well, then Jesus said these words to him in John 21, 18 and following. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. I mean, there's like an invitation to service. Okay, just so you know, as you do what I say, life's going to get increasingly worse, and you're going to be in a really, really hard situation, and it's going to be rough uh, the way you die. He goes on, he says, now he said this signifying what kind of death he would glorify God. And then when he had spoken this to him, can you imagine hearing these words, and Jesus saying, by the way, this is what it's going to be like, and it's going to be hard, and people are going to take you where you don't want to go, and this is, you're going to, it's going to end really hard. And uh, then he says, follow me. I mean, remember the Apostle Paul when he was converted? And, and the Lord told Ananias, I will show the Apostle Paul how much he will suffer for my sake. There's an invitation to the gospel. Well, Peter, 
he hears those words and he turns around and who's next to him is John, you know. He sees the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who had leaned back on his bosom at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? So Peter, seeing him, says to Jesus, uh, <laughs> what's going to happen to John? Yeah, what's going to happen to him? And Jesus says to him, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. This is not about the road God takes somebody else down. This is about the road God takes you down. Jesus says, follow me. Follow me. In John 8, 12, it says, Jesus again spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. In John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. And they follow me. What he's saying is true believers do follow him. That is their commitment. In John 12, 26, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will, also, uh, will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor them. Now, you guys, when you think about the two words follow me, they imply several things. Okay? So at one point, you're kind of walking your own life, just doing what you're doing on an airplane or something, you know? Let's talk, it was Joe, right? <laughs> Hope you're okay with me doing that. He's telling me about his testimony. You know, you're walking down this road, and then all of a sudden, God confronts you with the truth of the gospel. And God opens your blind eyes to the truth of what it means to be a sinner and be separated from God. And you come to understand that the only solution is the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. And, and it, so you're going down this road, you're confronted, and you have to turn to follow Jesus, right? Turning, what is that? That's repentance. That's you're going the wrong way, and now you're turning to Christ. And you guys, faith, faith is what? If I told you today, okay, when we're done this morning, I want you to follow me for the next few days. Most of you would just go, No. Some of you would go, where are you going? Because maybe. But none of you are going to do it without knowing more. Right? But the idea is with Christ, when you come to know the truth and you turn, you put your faith, your belief, your trust in him. Because you recognize your way is wrong and his way is right. It implies lordship. Because lordship means you are going to follow him. You, whatever road he takes you down, you are going to trust him. You are going to follow him. You are going to submit to him. So see, those follow me words, two words Jesus used so often are so profound. They're so profound. And so in this life, Jesus, when he gives the great commission, he's speaking to his disciples, and his disciples are those who are following him. So, so it's not a game. It's not just so I can go to heaven. They're, you're following him. I, I want to be where he wants me to be. I want to go where he wants me to go. I want to do what he wants me to do. 1 John 2, 6 says it this way. The one who abides in him, that is in Christ, ought himself to walk in the same manner as Christ walked. And so, in John 8, 31, it says, to the, Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, 
then you're disciples. You're truly disciples of mine. John 13, 35, by this all men know, will know that you are my disciples. Why? If you have love for one another. So, you know, if you come to church and, and you, you, know, you come in late, leave early because you don't want to engage with people and stuff like that, that's not Christianity. Just because you're in church doesn't make you a Christian. A Christian is a transformed life, right? Somebody who loves God, loves the church, is engaged with the church, and is busy following Christ. John 15, 8, my father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. You know what it says, bear much fruit? The idea is you don't need a magnifying glass, right? Your life is about following Christ. And you guys, the truth is, it's not that you make the fruit. John 15 says, when you abide in Christ... That means you're living according to Christ's ways. Then, then he is the one that brings the fruit. It's, it's your abiding in Christ that leads to that. So here's the deal. When the commission is given to those of you who are disciples, the idea now is that you need to go out and make disciples. That's what disciples do. I mean, right? I mean, if you're a disciple, if you're a follower of Christ, then one of the things that is a part of that. You make disciples. That, that's just part of what you do. That's part of being a Christian. And so he says, we're to go, therefore, and make disciples of all of the nations. And so we know from Revelation that God is going to save people from every tongue, tribe, nation, and people. And so whatever pathway the Lord takes you down, which may, I mean, may, you may never leave Maryville. You may go across the country, or like, pretty exciting to have uh, Craig Johnson, the, the uh, Gospel Hope, starting this morning. You know, so now they're kind of cross town out there, and, and praise the Lord, there's, there's another church, and, and, and some may go to another country. It's, but, but the idea is that whatever path the Lord takes you down, it is your privileged responsibility to always be striving to make disciples. Now, how do you do that? Well, you have to share the gospel. With that, there's an evangelism class starting right here. First hour, annex, started today, but you can come next week. <laughs> you know, if you're a person that you say, well, I don't know, that just make me really uncomfortable to go to that uh, evangelism class, you are the perfect candidate. Go to, go to the evangelism class. Do you guys, if... If you've come to the point where you've believed the gospel, you have what you need so for somebody else to respond to the gospel. It's not just for you. It's, it's so that you can make an impact on other people's lives with the gospel. In Acts 1.8, it says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the remotest part of the earth. And here's the deal, you guys. It's not, we're, we're kind of a mess. Is, is that fair? I mean, it's hard. It's hard to stay on course. It's hard to maintain priorities. It's hard to recognize opportunities. But God says, listen, I know that. I'm giving you my Holy Spirit. <laughs> and he's going to empower you to be able to be my witnesses. Okay. So he's not just pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you can do this. He's saying, no, 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 I'm providing the resource you need to be the witness that you must be so that people hear the gospel. Now, if you're one of those people who say, you know, it's not really kind of my thing, my personality to, you know, talk about the gospel. I just, I just live the gospel. Then everybody's going to go to hell. Everybody's going to go to hell. 
Because if that's all they get is watching how you live and you never tell them how they can be reconciled to God through the Lord Jesus Christ, if you never tell them about the problem of sin, if you never tell them about the holiness of God, Romans 10 says, how will they know if, if you don't tell them? I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying always get it right. I'm just saying that has to always be on our hearts and mind. And God, please give me the courage to open my mouth to serve you well. It's the greatest message the world could ever hear, regardless if they accept it or not. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 20, it says, Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Listen to this. As though God were making appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. When we love God, we love people. And we strive to learn to see people as God sees them. And then we desire to accomplish God's purposes to the best we can in communicating the gospel for their sake. Now, I want to talk about evangelism just a bit. And because uh, I, I think this is important. So, so, you guys, I mean, do you believe God is intentional in your lives, the things that He does? Okay, and it, this is, I'm obviously setting you up, so I'm just telling you that, okay? Okay, we, we know that, right? We know that God is clearly an intentional God. I mean, when, when he ordains the works that we're going to do beforehand, right? I mean, that's a very intentional God. And, and so, as you face each day of your life, do you think it's likely that God has intentional divine appointments for you? In other words, he didn't just leave you to live from Sunday to Sunday for the spiritual stuff and then go about your work week. The idea is that we're a part of church so that, that we can then impact the world. And, and so, so, folks, evangelism ultimately is you walking down whatever road of life God takes you down, keeping your eyes open for the opportunities for ministry that God brings your way. So, like, when you get up on Monday morning, and you think, well, okay, I'm going to go to the office, or I've got these appointments, or I have to go to the grocery store, I'm going to go to the mall, or whatever it is you do, and you plan those things, in your prayers say, God, these are things that are on my agenda. But I don't know what else is on your agenda. So that business appointment that I'm having, I'm, I'm thinking it's maybe a client that I'm going to make some money on, but it may be a gospel opportunity. Maybe that's what it's about. You know, somebody, you know, Rock, I lost my job. I've had probably 20 interviews and nothing. I said, is it possible that God is allowing you to have all those opportunities because those guys with jobs that are interviewing you are in far worse condition than you? Because they don't know Christ. Is it possible that you need to open your eyes and recognize as much as I need a job, that guy might need Jesus. And maybe that's why God's bringing my life 
into this intersection with them. The apostle Paul said, when he was in jail in Philippians, my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. He's in jail. But he didn't give credit to the evil people that put him there. He called himself a prisoner of Christ Jesus. You have to understand that God might even use wicked people to put you in a difficult circumstance so that you will meet people that need to hear the gospel. I think oftentimes we think our circumstances are all about us. But you guys, God's intentional. The apostle Paul, who he lived a tough life, he said, I'm willing to endure anything for the sake of those who are chosen, for the sake of the elect, for the sake of those who still are going to hear the gospel and respond. I'll endure anything. Because oftentimes, we're so focused on circumstances that we don't see opportunity. And the circumstances are constantly. You have to understand that the road God takes you down is intentional. Even if wicked people are involved in it, God is accomplishing his purpose. God is getting you where he wants you to be. And the truth is, we are around people all the time. And opportunity for ministries abound but few Christians ever consistently share the truth or the hope of the truth with the unsaved. It's you guys, a church to be ready for the Lord to return is a church that is accomplishing the mission that God has given to them. It's easy as the church grows to get comfortable and say, well, yeah, man, there's a lot of people in the chairs. We're good. It's like, hey, listen, more people in the chairs, more people in the community, more people in the neighborhoods, more people in the stores, more people in the business in order to share the gospel. There's never a point where we get satisfied. You guys, things as simple as what we call an accident. You know, somebody runs into the back of you. We call it an accident and... It is in a sense. But is it possible it's a divine appointment? Because you are going to meet somebody you didn't want to meet. Hopefully it's not somebody you know, but what did you do that for? We get so caught up with the circumstance that oftentimes we don't even think about, you know, God is making me meet somebody. Whether it's lots of job or how about that, how about that medical diagnosis? that you get the call and it's not at all what you want to hear. Hmm. Is God intentional? Is he? Even in those things? You bet he is. And you know what? You're going to meet people that you probably didn't want to meet. But the truth is, and I would even share this with people who are dying in the hospital, if their minds were still functioning okay, I would explain to them, you know, not long before you see Jesus, but you need to remember that that gal that comes in and cleans your room or empties the trash or those technicians or those doctors, those people coming in to take tests may be in way worse condition than you are. Because they don't know Jesus. So as long as God gives you the ability to think and to communicate. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. We get too focused on our circumstances. I get that it's hard. I talked to a lady just a few weeks ago. She's with Jesus now. Man. 
physically, she lived a rough life. It was really rough. Her pain was just unbelievable for years. And, and as it progressed, it got increasingly worse. And I, I was talking to her on the phone. And she said to me, she said, you know, Rocky, I know the Lord could have taken me home a long time ago. But I would have missed out on so many ministry opportunities. You know what those opportunities are? People coming in and taking care of her. All the way to the little hospice nurse that took care of her until the day she died. Wow. See, most people said, get me out. That's why they want Jesus to come. Get me out of here. We have work to do. We have work to do. So let's busy, be busy about the work and, and then look forward to Jesus coming because we're doing the work of the ministry. Well, I'm going to sail through the last part of this because I can, and, and this is why. The Great Commission fulfilled is seen in the book of Acts. And, and here's the deal. As I stand here before you, because I, I, I have the opportunity to travel the country and meet with churches all over, that what you have the privilege to have in this church, very, very few evangelical churches have. So this church is committed to evangelism, but they're also committed to training, right? If you're a lady in this church, you can receive biblical theological training. If you're a man in this church, you can receive biblical theological training. Almost no churches provide that, okay? This church is committed to training people to serve in the church, not only serve in general ways, but you've got guys here training who are training to be pastors and they're being trained in the church. You have men in this church who have been trained to be elders. You understand most churches do not have any clear path to train a man to be an elder. That's what I do. I meet with churches all over for that purpose to help them. You guys have that here. This church trains people to be missionaries in the context of You know that most churches never, they'll send people out. They almost never participate in the training. Because you've had the privilege to send Greg Pickle out, equip him here and send him out and plant a church. Craig Johnson just went out and you guys have helped train elders for that church. I'm telling you, that almost never happens. That's the Great Commission. It begins with disciples doing the work of evangelism. And then it begins with teaching people to be obedient, to be baptized, and teaching them all that God has commanded. And then in doing that, if you look at the book of Acts, what happens? As people are saved, churches are started, leaders train leaders, elders train elders, pastors train, you, you train, you invest well. It's a church ministry. So that the church goes all the way from a person coming to Christ to being able to fully serve in their giftedness in whatever way that is in the church. And some of those people will be gifted for pastoral ministry and missions and then you're going to help them to get out where they need to get and support and encourage them. That's the Great Commission. So many churches never, ever see that. Most pastors never train another man to be a pastor. Is that remarkable to you? I'm talking evangelical churches, by the way. I don't really consider the other churches churches. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The reason I say that is I want you to know that you're a blessed people. Because you have the, the joy and the delight of seeing something that few enjoy. And so what Chris 
and the elders of this church have held as priorities is a blessing to you. And then your church is a part of actually helping us to train other churches, both here. Chris is even going to take a trip to Poland for me. So I can't go. And I, there's seven leaders from seven European countries, difficult places, that Chris will go in July, and he's going to train them how to do what you guys do here. I mean, isn't that cool? That's the Great Commission. That's the Great Commission. And you guys, let me say this. You guys, as we've, as we've come through, we're all tired of hearing it, but I'm going to say it anyway. So we've, we've come through COVID and all of the political, you know, and, there, and there's more political stuff coming, I hear. But anyways, uh, let me tell you something. As I, I tr have traveled through these days and met with churches and watched churches divide over these things and awful sad things. You guys, I watch people who profess Christ who got passionate about things like mask or no mask, vaccines, no vaccines. It doesn't matter to me where you're at. But I saw people get more passionate about those things or about politics in, in ways that was remarkable that I never, ever saw in their life about the gospel. They'd talk to anybody. They'd be as bold as could be, and they would never do that about the gospel. And let me tell you something, you guys. The enemy will use things like that to distract you from the mission. The mission is the gospel. You don't need to read the news to know what's going on. Read the Bible. It tells you where it's going. Is that a surprise? Are you worried for your kids? God is big enough for your kids. God is big enough for your grandkids. Okay? He's the one we trust. And as it gets darker, the light gets brighter. Don't get distracted. There's only one thing that can truly make the difference that we need to make. That is the gospel. It's the gospel. And I said this one time in a church, and boy, somebody came up, and they said, yeah, but Rocky. And I went, stop. Stop. Tell me the last time you shared the gospel. Well, I'm not an orator. You lie. That's not the question. The question is, when was the last time you shared the gospel? The gospel is what we live for. And the gospel is what we die for. Don't. You guys, I mean, I watch churches just blow up over this stuff. Don't let the concerns of the world distract you from the mission that Jesus gave in the Great Commission. Because that's what you want to live for. And that's what you want to die for. And then. Come Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Lord thank you. You have done so much for us. It's just even hard to imagine. A God who would send his own son. To die for his enemies. And then make them his friends. We are privileged people. And I'm so grateful that you're patient with us, God. But Lord, I pray that you would help us to see the scriptures, what they really say. I pray that you'd help us to live the way you really intend. Lord, we do thank you for your forgiveness when we fail, we miss opportunities, we get distracted. But Lord, I pray that that wouldn't stop us from continuing to strive to follow you more closely. I thank you for the incredible testimony this church is, so rare. 
And Lord, I know because of even that faithfulness that the enemy will oppose this church. And I just pray, God, that you would bless this church with unity, unity among the elders, unity in the staff, unity in the church, so that this church would continue to be an incredibly bright light, not only here, but God, I pray around the world. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.